welcome to the program, everybody. You just stepped inside of Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome, and I want to welcome you to another exciting edition of Psychotic Bump School on this Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. So, ladies and gentlemen, tonight we have another amazingly full show, as we often and always do. We're going to have a couple of amazing guests coming through the school tonight. One hasn't been here for a very long time, so check out this lineup. We're going to have our good brother, Dr. Shakir Email. Dr. Email is an emergency room physician in Southern California. He's going to be breaking down to its final compound what's happening in our health systems across California and across the land, really. Uh, he's going to be breaking down the status of COVID, respiratory uh, illness, uh, all of these things. And you just might learn something about emergency services and responses. So uh, check out Dr. Shakir Email. He's rejoining us on Psychotic Bump School. And I'm proud to welcome back our good brother, Mr. A. Scott. Galloway. You guys know Mr. Galloway. He's a legendary musical journalist also in Southern California. He's also a drummer and he's helping us pay tribute to some recently departed giants in the world of music, uh, including and among them uh, members of the Whispers, Blue Magic. Okay, that would be Gordy Harmon of the Whispers and Keith Beaton of the group Blue Magic. We also lost Fred White a few weeks ago. Uh, the drummer for Earth, Wind & Fire, and most recently, ladies and gentlemen, uh, not only did we lose Lisa Marie Presley, the daughter of Elvis Presley, we also lost legendary, iconic guitar wizard, Jeff Beck. Okay, Jeff Beck is uh, considered to be uh, a guitar player's guitar player, and uh, we just lost him, ladies and gentlemen. So we're going to be paying tribute uh, to Jeff Beck, Gordy Harmon, Keith Beaton, Fred White uh, with A. Scott Galloway. So, uh, wow, it's going to be an amazingly full show. So you might want to call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off. So this is KCWGTheTruth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School. Stay tuned for more. We're going to kick off our show with emergency room physician, Dr. Shakir Email. after this. This is Shakir Mel, emergency physician, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWGTheTruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Okay, we are back. KCWGTheTruth.com. This program is called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, there is so many developments still happening across the nation. If you're in California, you've been seeing the news stories with the effects of this uh, atmospheric river uh, sweeping across the state of California right now. It's causing all kinds of havoc. And not to mention the medical world is still dealing with its usual challenges, including now what I'm just now learning, the fact that we're now in what's called a, a, a triple-demic or triple-pandemic. Oh man, I better get the expert in real quick so I don't get that wrong. But uh, I'm really excited to have this next guest back. It's been a minute since he's been here. He's been a very busy man. And you're going to hear why, because he, he's an amazing uh, expert in the world of medicine in the beautiful state of California. And he's helping us out to understand what is going on right now in the medical world in California and across the land. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our good brother, Dr. Shakir Email. Dr. Email, how you doing, good brother? I'm doing well. It's great to hear your voice. Likewise, man. It has been a minute since we've been up in it. Man, so what in the world is going on? I wanted to reach out to you initially. Uh, remember I reached out to you when that football player went down? I do. 
Yeah, and I, I we had Dr. Reggie Robinson on, cardiologist out of D.C. last week, so he broke that all down for us. But you have some really good insight on that, just as general precautions. There's some other things I want to talk to you about that, but uh, did you want to chime in on that a little bit as far as that and the importance of preparation for the general population? Uh, what are your thoughts on that, good brother? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think it was great of you to have a cardiologist on, uh, but I can yeah. approach this uh, briefly as an emergency physician. Cool. And um, so when these cardiac arrests happen, uh, of course, you're going to get uh, EMS responding many times and they're going to bring them to the emergency department. So there are a couple of things, and I want to make it really simple for the listening audience. Okay. A couple of things that I think are really important for the average person to know. If you see a person that all of a sudden becomes unconscious in front of you, there are really a couple of things that you want to focus on. You want to check and see if they have a pulse and if they're breathing. If they don't have a pulse, you can feel in on the side of the neck. You can feel with two fingers um, on the side of the wrist by the thumb. If you do not detect that they have a pulse, most important thing you can do is get them flat on the ground. Put your hands together with the heel of your thumb right in the middle of their breastbone and start doing chest compressions. And you want to do that at about 100 to 120 a minute. And that's the same cadence as Staying Alive, the song Staying Alive. Mm -hmm. And um, if you can do that, get a bystander to go call 911 and have EMS dispatched. That is one of the most critical and essential things that you can do. And I'll be frank with you. When we receive these patients in the emergency department, that's a question that we ask. How long were they down before CPR was started? Because we know that that actually is going to portend in many ways the degree to which we're going to have success in bringing them back. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is, and I really want to focus on the first. So if you don't do anything else besides the first, start those, those high quality chest compressions, get someone to call EMS. Um, the second thing is to try to call for a second bystander if possible. If you're in a, a more public location, to get an AED, automatic external defibrillator. And if you if you could get that, it's pretty simple, straightforward. Uh, if you can get that on the person, follow the instructions, it will determine whether or not an electrical shock needs to be delivered. And if it determines that such a shock needs to be delivered, it will give you instructions to have it do so. And the same thing there, the time from that person losing a pulse to receiving that electrical shock if they require it, is a life-saving thing. And so if all of this is a little overwhelming, I can certainly recommend that folks take a BLS uh, training class. I think this is something we should all have. Uh, mm. But uh, if, if nothing else is remembered, those are two things that I would recommend in such a situation. Absolutely. Uh, can you break down BLS, that acronym? What does it stand for? Sure. Basic, um, uh, excuse me, basic life support. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, that's pretty consistent with our good brother last week as well. Uh, what I didn't understand last week uh, compared to now, Dr. Email, is that the AED actually does an assessment, it sounds like, to determine you know, how much you need to use it, when to apply it. And it's not. it sounds more user-friendly than I originally thought. Is, is that a fair assessment of its function? 
Yes. If you can operate an iPhone, you can operate an AED. There you go. And essentially it's, it's very intuitive. It has pictures for where the, there are two pads. Uh, there's pictures for where the pads need to be placed. You follow those diagrammatic pictures. You place, place them where they're supposed to. You continue the chest compressions until it says to stop. It will tell you when to press the button. It will analyze. It will tell you if the person requires a shock to press the button, it will deliver the shock, and then it will remind you to begin uh, resumption of the compressions. And so it's very intuitive, uh, mm. and it's designed for public use. It's not designed for professionals. We have our own professional devices, and so it's designed for public use, and it is quite honestly life-saving. Last time I had you here, we were deep in the throes of coronavirus, and for all intents and purposes, we're not completely out of the woods by any stretch, but I got the impression before we started this that uh, the, the what do you call it, the, the SARS or the, the pandemic, uh, the yeah, the virus may have evolved, and you called it a triple, what did you call it, man? Because I, I knew I was going to flub it, but you called it a triple-demic? What, what did you mean by that? Yeah. So just to be clear, this is brand new. I'm not sure that there is a, a Merriam-Webster term that is a, oh, official, okay. but uh, we're, we're colloquially calling it the triple-demic. And mm. it is a combination of the COVID that we've been experiencing, obviously a different variant, and it continues to change variants. But mm. there's the COVID that we've been experiencing for the last several years. Influenza, which we typically experience every year, uh, around this time of year. Mm -hmm. And a lot of immune systems, particularly uh, young immune systems, are a little out of practice uh, from exposure to influenza because of uh, the quarantining and the isolation that we've done over the last couple of years. And then RSV. So RSV is respiratory syncytial virus. Quite honestly, it's a very common illness, very common virus that most of us have been exposed to at some point in our lives. And we've gotten it and we probably thought it was, you know, just a regular cold and, and moved on. Combination of, again, I think some of the uh, limited exposure from, from particularly young immune systems uh, over the last several years, but also a variant of RSV that seems to be a little bit more aggressive than the run of the mill. Uh, it's making folks a lot sicker this year than it typically would. And then we, we're also seeing combination illnesses. So folks that, for example, have influenza and RSV simultaneously. And mm. so uh, the combination of all of these, or the combination of these three viral illnesses has caused quite a bit of sickness over this, this started really in November. We saw the uptick in November since, uh, around the time of Thanksgiving and thereafter. And we are noting that the pediatric population is particularly affected. And so we're seeing a lot of pediatric hospitalizations related to this, particularly in the age group that is two and under. And that has at points over nearly overwhelmed uh, the system. I think we are seeing numbers drop somewhat, but we have to see if that drop continues or if this is just a lull to to uh, spike back up. But uh, the the one thing that I want to make sure that I share, it's not all doom and gloom. Okay. The one thing I want to make sure I share is that the tools that we need to be able to succeed here are the same tools we've been practicing over the past several years with COVID. And that includes frequent masking. That includes social distancing, that includes frequent hand washing. 
And I want to make sure I, I know everyone's tired. Um, a, huh. lot, a lot of discipline has been required of us over the last several years. And I want to yeah. reassure everyone that I ne don't necessarily foresee this being some kind of year long process. I think what I am indicating is the need for this uh, over this cold and flu season, which essentially lasts the winter or so. There's uh, the Pfizer bivalent, I think. Uh, they're exploring that. The FDA, the CDC are exploring whether or not that has some kind of correlational link to people developing strokes. Uh, they're even comparing or examining whether or not the booster is safe in all of this. Uh, what can you tell us about what you've heard about those studies? Are they fringy? Are they legitimate? Well, I just saw uh, FDA and CDC, so I guess there's a level of, um, you know, credible sourcing going on there, but have you heard very much about this, a link between the vaccine and people possibly having strokes? Well, so certainly here's what I want to sort of, here's what I want to frame it. This is something that is investigational. So okay. there are a couple of case reports, or I should say a handful of case reports that exist that maybe suggest that a link could possibly exist. But really, more than anything, I think that this is part of the due diligence required by uh, science and some of our governmental agencies to make sure that the vaccines are completely safe. I have not seen anything or any evidence, and nor do I know of anything that has yet been published that truly indicates that there is a proven cause by the the vaccines themselves that would cause, and I've seen a lot of different things, but strokes or heart attacks or things of that nature. On the other hand, what we do know is that a lot of the inflammatory cascade that comes from COVID itself increases the risks of these things. Mm. So I think we still stand in a rather similar place to where we stood a year, year and a half ago, which is that the vaccines appear to be overwhelmingly safe. They are absolutely things that need to be tracked down, investigated, proven, disproven related to them. But at the same time, I think that all of the data points to the fact that COVID still remains much more dangerous than the vaccine itself. Okay. I mean, coming from you, that means something. Because as soon as something hits, like that DeMar Hamlin story of the Buffalo Bills, and people said that it was, and his heart may have stopped there on the field. They were like, okay, was he vaxxed? The first thing that people want to default to is were they taking the vaccine? And people in the peanut gallery, Dr. Email, always want to try to fuse these two things together. But what you're saying is that um, science by its very nature is, you know, prone to be more vigilant, you know, in times like this where, now that we have more data than we did before, uh, is, is not to engender fear that people have been duped to taking the vax prematurely, but it, we're, we're, we have data now. We have more information than we've ever had before. And the science all along is teaching us every step of the way, right? Absolutely. And I think I, I, there are some, I think there are a lot of good actors or, or, or good faith individuals here who have a, a very healthy degree of fear and skepticism because all of this is new. I mean, think about it. Before before 2019, the end of 2019, none of us had, had heard of COVID. We did, there, there wasn't such a thing. Uh, we didn't know anything about it. We didn't know how it would affect people. The 
world scientific community had to come together quickly and try to develop uh, not only vaccines, but also treatment regimens. And so I think it's important to reflect on some of the early days and where we've come from and the fact that we're still only, what, three years mm -hmm. into this process. And so when you look at all the stuff that is published in medical textbooks, we're talking about decades of investigational research into either disease states or their treatments or preventative measures to address them. And we just don't have that because this is, is just that new. And so I understand the healthy degree of skepticism and, and to some degree the anxieties that exist around this. But the upside, again, for the time being, there's nothing we can do to, to give us greater uh, a greater track record with this besides to continue living. Uh, and continue looking into things and learning as we go. But I think the thing that gives me a little bit of, of, of reassurance is the fact that we have tons more examples and cases of COVID um, than, than we would like. And so we have a fair idea of what COVID does and what COVID can do. And there's still a lot that we're still, that we're learning, for example, long COVID. Long COVID is, is uh, a, a, constellation of different potential ailments that can, we, we believe, the scientific community believes, uh, extend from an initial infection with COVID-19. But mm. how long these things can last, what that full constellation looks like, um, what the mortality and the morbidity of that exactly is, how many people have even died from long COVID? We don't even exactly know those numbers. But what we do know is that the potential effects of COVID on the cardiovascular system are very real. And so even as people, you know, I think people question, some people question with good intent, mm -hmm. oh, this happened to a young person. Is there a possibility that the COVID vaccine could be related? Okay, I understand that question, but the question I don't hear posed as often is, could COVID have been related? And maybe, maybe not. And I don't want to stoke unnecessary controversy or conspiracy, but I think we have to ask the question and then look to the science to answer these questions. And uh, I think Lamar Hamlin I, was a very specific case. I, I believe that they believed it. Uh, th those who have studied it thus far believe it was more related to the trauma than to any kind of underlying disease. And that's a separate conversation. But uh, these are fair questions to ask as long as we continue to look to the actual numbers and the data and the science that are working to answer these questions uh, as we go. Absolutely. I mean, science is always the best referee on the field in cases such as this. Uh, appreciate that, man. Uh, before we let you go, I'm thinking about, you know, we're in California on the West Coast where we're experiencing a lot of uh, weather challenges, particularly with this atmospheric river that has certainly traversed its way through Northern California soon to make its way, hopefully not as severe down in Southern California. And I'm thinking about some of our more vulnerable populations, like maybe the elderly or maybe people among the exceptional community. Uh, do you have any tips that you could give or just thoughts? I guess just you could just riff a little bit about best ways in which we can look out for our more vulnerable populations during this season of everything that we're talking about, COVID, the, the triple-demic, as you put it colloquially. And uh, any ways we can look out for people that might be on the spectrum who might have um, physical ailments, uh, Down syndrome, um, any particular uh, training 
that uh, medical professionals have uh, been privy to that have prepared the medical teams across the country to deal with those specific populations during times of natural uh, crises, such as the weather system we're seeing in California right now. Uh, any thoughts on that? I know that was a loaded question, but uh, you catch my drift, right? I, I think I do. So uh, let me start with the end, actually, first. So yes, there there is a fair degree of training that exists within the medical field to try to uh, manage and care for those individuals um, who in any way have uh, some kind of uh, delay or disability or limited ability to communicate. However, I like the fact that you also kind of couple it with the times that we're living in. So yes, while a medical community does have training and some background in this in this area, when things get really tough, and when we're in the midst of all these different crises, unfortunately, the realistic fact is that sometimes these are also the folks that get forgotten. Um, yeah. They don't have the ability to advocate for themselves the same way that others do. And so I think it is absolutely necessary uh, for those folks who consider themselves members of uh, the, an individual's community um, for those who do have these kinds of conditions, like you said, be it uh, cognitive delays, uh, dementia, on any kind right. of spectrum, I think it's really important for those for the members of, of that individual's community to first of all recognize that they are part of such a community, um, and to take an opportunity to familiarize themselves with the basics of that person's needs, mm -hmm. and there is the. There, there, there is important to have a recognition that you may be called, and in a moment of crisis, it may not be the normal, the ab, the, the typical person that cares for that individual uh, that has to respond. It may be you if you're part of that person's community. It, to, you may have to, you may find yourself responding to a, a need for that individual. You may not have the opportunity or luxury to get briefed. Uh, completely on that individual's circumstances or right. specifics. And so I think it's important to, number one, recognize that you're a part of that person's community. Number two, to familiarize yourself with just the basics. You don't have to be an expert in everything if you're not their primary caregiver. But at least know a little bit about what's going on, what they need, what where they are uh, in, in the course of their illness, what maybe some of the complications may be, uh, if they've developed any. Um, and then I think it's always, it's so important for these individuals as often as is humanly possible to have an advocate. Yeah. As as you uh, said in the prompt, these are often people who cannot advocate for themselves. And right. so having a surrogate who can advocate for them is going to be so important. And the times that I do see individuals falling through the cracks, the most common circumstance and, it, and this is, by the way, no blame, no shame, but just honest, truthful talk. The times where I see these folks fall to the cracks is often when they don't have an advocate. Things have gotten busy despite folks' medical or, 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 or sensitivity training. Some of that has kind of fallen apart. And then they don't have anyone there to kind of make sure that things get called out and addressed the way they need to be. And those are the circumstances where I see folks sort of falling through the cracks. And it's not something that I don't think any of us aim to have happen, but um, I think the advocacy is so important when at all possible. Mm. Um, in addition to that, I would also uh, add that um, for any given condition, 
uh, there are usually organizations that exist, and those organizations usually have websites. So once again, if you find yourself in the community of a loved one who has a particular condition, be that, again, dementia, Alzheimer's, uh, Down syndrome, uh, on, on any, any spectrum, most of those um, conditions have specific organizations that tend to represent them, tend to do research in areas to improve their quality of life. And uh, getting connected is important, particularly if you are a primary caregiver or a backup to the primary give, caregiver, or even if you're not and you're in that community, it may be important just to at least know the website, maybe do a little bit of risk reading, uh, because there are a lot of tools that are very specific to some of these conditions that you, again, may want to familiarize yourself with just in case you find yourself having to access that toolkit. Absolutely. His name is Dr. Shakir Emil. Good brother. I've been looking forward to this, man. It is always a pleasure to have your expertise here on Psychotic Bum School. Uh, what's the best way for people to access not just that information, but generally speaking, if they want the best in health updates, uh, whatever is coming out of the CDC, I kind of tip my hand a little bit there. But when Dr. Shakir Emil wants to go find a source on Google, uh, where does Dr. Emil go? Well, usually I don't start with Google. <laughs> um, but, um, I'm an, as an emergency physician, that's part of what keeps me employed. Uh, right, right. <laughs> uh, but, uh, that said, first and foremost, again, if there are any kinds of organizations that exist for a particular thing, if you want to know, um, something about, um, the, you know, strokes, there's the, uh, you know, American Stroke Association, um, there are all these organizations that exist for these different uh, disease states and conditions and illnesses. So looking to the website of a particular group that focuses on whatever uh, it is that you're you're concerned about, I think is helpful and important. You mentioned CDC. If you certainly if you're interested in anything that is infectious in nature, uh, we've seen a lot over the course of last year from COVID-19 to monkeypox and now the triple demic. And so the CDC uh, usually has a, a up to date information uh, on on the, the data that's coming out of that. And uh, if you want some additional information, there are also departments of public health, both for your state and oftentimes for your county that you can look to for more uh, specific and nuanced information for the locale in which you live. Uh, and then at the end of the day, if you can't find um, the information you're looking for, and let's be honest, a lot of these health-related matters are, are, are a little complex, uh, reach out to your physician, right? I don't know anything about cars. I might look some things up, but when I have a problem, I ask my mechanic. So same thing for you. Uh, you gotta, if you're not sure, it's difficult to make heads or tails out of a particular thing. Don't, don't force it. Don't try to do it alone. Um, your physician is there for a reason. And so feel free to have, have a low threshold to reach out to your physician um, who I'm sure um, has uh, a team of folks that can hopefully help to address the concerns that you might have and get you where you need to be. They may be able to answer it themselves, but they may also have specific concerns that will lead them to either refer you elsewhere uh, or to send you to urgent care or the emergency department. Dr. Shakiri Mel, thank you, good brother. Will you join us again sometime on Psychotic Bump School, good brother? Absolutely. Oh, we sure appreciate it. This is KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. That was the good brother, Dr. Shakiri Mel. Stay tuned for more, y'all. We'll be right back after this. I done seen some better days before. Feeling like forever was a long time ago. 
clothes Get your blindfold on me, God knows I done seen some better days before Feeling like forever was a long time ago Balancing highs and the lows Get your blindfold on yeah. me, God Twin, don't forget the better days We've been friends since 10 Back then we told people we cousins can't the buses from my school couldn't come to where I live So my mama used to drop me at your crib like 4, maybe 5 a.m. I ain't get no good sleep till I was 27 I used to wear my big bro clothes you Used to let me borrow some of your clothes I thought that I looked funny in them It's only you and George George do Your parents used to treat me like they third son I'm the first one bucking on any person Trying to make you feel hurt or something You my brother, I murder something for you Throw that dirty to the Chattahoochee You Louie, I be Gucci We was Webby and Boosie with the low fade Brush my hair for days, still ain't have no ways. Now we talking through a window while you in a cage. I'ma come get you when you figure out your date. I was in and out the states. You was rapping on the rage. Had Atlanta going crazy. I was packing out the stage in different places. You hit me sick, Cassandra had your baby. The day that Kobe died, I'm at the Grammys in LA. Pray a lot can show you grace. And the law stay out the way. But when you caught that other case, I ain't know what your was thinking. My mama said to say you ain't too old to get a spanking. Still one of her children, but she feel like you need to be thankful you still here. I have seen some better days before. Yeah. Feeling like forever was a long time ago. Balancing highs and the lows. Get your blindfold, only God knows. I done seen some better days before. Feeling like forever was a long time ago. Balancing highs and the lows. Get your blindfold, only God knows. Oh. Umami from Oakland, California, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWG, thetruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet.
Okay, we are back. KCWG, thetruth.com. This program is called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, kicking off the new year, this, of course, is our second episode of 2023. And already we've had some major, major transitions in the world of entertainment. And true to form, we're going to be talking about it. Uh, major, major figures, man. We, we've had an absolute giant in the world of rock, soul, jazz, funk, guitar. Uh, we're going to be talking all about it. And uh, you know who we have here. I don't even have to introduce this cat. This good brother has put it down many times on this program to its final compound. He's a legendary music journalist out of Southern California. He's a drummer. He's a writer. He does a little bit of something of everything, even in the year of 2023. So, ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome back to Psychotic Bump Score, our good brother, Mr. A. Scott Galloway. Mr. Galloway, Happy New Year, brother. Happy New Year, Rome. How are you, brother? I am cool and the gang. <laughs> and I'm going to keep on playing. Well, yes, sir. I mean, do you ever just tell on your age? Do you, do you ever just tell yourself when you answer certain questions? Man, when I say I'm cool in the gang, anybody that's 30 and under has no idea what I'm talking about. That's a damn shame. But yeah, it Ain't definitely it? gives you away. Definitely it, gives you away. It does. It does. Well, welcome aboard. Well, I let, I'm gonna let them worry about that. They got to catch up. They have to ask their aunties, uncles, and grandparents about that one. Cause I, I'm gonna keep on being cool in the gang. But yo, man, please do. Thank you, man. Well, you know why you're here, man. We've had some major transitions in the world of music. Uh, I'm gonna get to the big one in just a second. I mean, not that there uh, there's a packing order here because they're all significant to those that love them. Uh, we lost a member of Blue Magic, incredible singing group from the 70s. I'm going to have you tell us about that. We lost a member of The Whispers. Oh, my gosh. The Whispers? Ugh. It's getting too close to home because people know some of the key members, but some of the, the supporting cast people may not know as much about unless you're a diehard uh, fan. So uh, I want to have you talk about Blue Magic, The Whispers, and, of course, uh, Mr. Jeff back mm. jeff yeah. Beck. that that's a big one uh master of guitar he's a master of the universe considered a, a guitar icon and uh not to mention I, I asked you a second ago if we could step back a little bit because this one is uh, a a couple weeks uh in the past uh we lost a legendary drummer of earth wind and fire uh mr fred white so uh mr galloway you're here good brother i don't know which order these particularly hit you in uh but uh, some of the more recent ones were uh, Keith Beaton of Blue Magic and the good brother, Mr. Gordy Harmon. Can we start off with those, the whispers in Blue Magic, man? What do these losses mean to the world of music and to these two iconic groups, Mr. A. Scott Galloway? Well, these are uh, the whispers in Blue Magic are, are groups, vocal groups that really hit their stride and, um, you know, really, you know, started doing their thing in well with the whispers they started in the mid 60s and blue magic started in early se uh, 70s like 1972 um and they represent <clears throat> uh you know some of the the just most stylish um complete uh you know kind of vocal r&b groups groups that that um really captivated the imagination particularly in the realm of love songs so, uh, yeah, uh, in the last week, we lost Gordy Harmon, who most people, even some of the most hardcore Whispers fans might not really remember him or his name. He wasn't uh, particularly upfront 
with lead vocals or anything. He was a band member, but he was an original uh, group member of the Whispers going back to their founding days in the Gordon Downs housing projects of Watts here in, in Los Angeles. Come on. And so he was along with the, uh, you know, the very famous Scott, identical Scott brothers, you know, uh, Walter and Wallace, as well as, um, oh my goodness, Nicholas. Yeah. Caldwell. Caldwell. Also, he's also deceased. We lost him uh, several years ago. Yeah. And, um, and one other gentleman. Uh, let me pull this up here. Uh, it was the tall cat, right? Um, well, Nick, Nick was the, the, the tall one. He wrote all them super uh, ex, extra sexy songs. Marcus, Marcus Hudson is the other uh, guy. Oh, okay, cool. So Gordy, Gordy was an original member, and he was on their earliest singles, you know, on the door label uh, here in, um, in Hollywood. And then they uh, did their first album for um, Soul Clock Records. They had done some singles with the other company, but they did their first full albums on Soul Clock. And um, out of those two albums... Uh, we got one very major R&B hit, which was Seems Like I Gotta Do Wrong, uh, that uh, some soul people will really remember, you know, fans of soul music. And, you know, the Whispers were just a, they were a very captivating live act and, and um, wonderful vocals and everything. Again, Gordy, an original member, but not somebody that particularly stood out and that people would remember unless they were really back in those early days in uh, in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. uh, he had to leave the band <clears throat> in 73 because he had a car accident. And I'm assuming, uh, you know, his, his larynx was affected, which means he possibly, you know, his throat hit the steering wheel or something. That's what I could imagine, or, or the dashboard. And it, it uh, ruptured his larynx and he was not, that ended his singing career period. We didn't hear from him anymore. But, you know, he lived a good long time until last week. And, uh, you know, so it's, you know, kind of sad here for L.A. soul historians that, uh, you know, yet another original member of the group is gone. So that leaves the Scott brothers and uh, and Marcus, I believe, who's not in the group anymore. Uh, right. But I believe he's still alive. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then they have their the, music, the singer that replaced Gordy, uh, which is Lavelle Degree. Yeah, who used to be the Friends of Distinction before they hit, you know, uh, briefly. I don't think Lavelle got to record with the Friends of Distinction, but he did sing with them uh, briefly before he became a member of the Whispers and with them to this day. Now, when we move on to Keith Beaton from Blue Magic, which was a Philadelphia, you know, Philly soul mainstay, you know, group that came out of the box, you know, with a great hit called Spell. And then they had many, many, many other hits. Um, and Keith was a, 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 a primary member of that group. He uh, made a very distinct contribution to them by being their choreographer. If you go back on YouTube and look at any of the clips of them on Soul Train or, or, and whatnot, you know, Blue Magic's choreography was truly amazing. You know, it, was, it really stood out from everybody. It was one of the big deals of, of vocal groups back in the day was, you know, everybody had to have some really, you know, smooth choreography. You know, if you didn't have super dancers in the group, then you kept your steps, you know, very, you know, simple but effective. 
And if you had great dancers, then, you know, you could do flashier things. Well, Keith Beaton made sure that Blue Magic, whether they were doing ballads or, you know, up simple material, that they had some very eye-popping and unique choreography. So I will just direct you to YouTube, pull up some things like Look Me Up and Spell and whatnot, and you'll and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And I'm so happy that Keith was able to get some real light shined on him uh, in a recent episode of uh, Unsung. I think it was about three or four years ago, or maybe more. I don't remember exactly what year it was, but you know, uh, all five original members were able to get together for an unsung episode, but unfortunately they could not get together and perform and record it. But uh, they they really did put a light on Keith and let people know that he was the one that choreographed, you know, their numbers. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that that was something that was very, very special, you know, special attention for him to get later in life. Right. And just for people who don't know, the main lead singer of Blue Magic is Ted Wizard Mills. So, you know, um, mm-hmm. he, 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 you know, got most of the attention in the group. And like the Whispers, they had a group of brothers. They weren't twins, um, but um, they had uh, Vernon and Wendell Sawyer in their group. So it's interesting the parallels that we see between the Whispers and Blue Magic. You know, they, they both enjoyed, you know, hits with up-tempo you know, proto-disco type of material, but are primarily known and loved for their ballads. So, uh, you know, we just want to say respect and much love and condolences to the families of Keith Beaton of Blue Magic and Gordy Harmon of The Whisper. Amen. Appreciate that. Um, Did you have a chance to meet uh, The Whispers ever in your career or Blue Magic? Blue Magic, I did not get to meet, though I did do a pretty comprehensive liner note essay on them early in my career uh, for something called The Best of Blue Magic Soulful Spell. Mm-hmm. I, I interviewed the producer for that. I didn't have a lot of time, so um, I interviewed uh, producer-songwriter Bobby Eli for that project, and uh, he was very, very insightful and gave me a lot of good insight into the group. Mm-hmm. whispers heck yeah you know i i interviewed them many times those are good brothers you know i've interviewed them for several different albums that they've released over the last 20 30 years and then i also had the honor of doing the liner note essays for two of the inaugural cd reissues of their albums love for love and imagination they're great you know, I'm, I'm here in la and they're they're one of those la groups that is always playing around town, you know, less so now than before because they're they're older, but they're still, mm-hmm. you know, still at it. You know, I think they're still recording and they're still performing. The last time I saw the Whispers, which now just consists of, you know, Wallace and Walter Scott and Lavelle Degree, they played at um on Soul Train Cruise that I went to three or four years ago. Mm. And they still got it. I mean they, you know, it's remarkable. The only thing I miss is because they don't have five members now, you know, there's my favorite choreography that they ever had was the opening of Rocksteady. <laughs> get in this circle and do this little pump thing. You know, it, it was so cool. And now that they're down to three, they can't really do that anymore. But um, yeah, yeah the Whispers are, are, are wonderful gentlemen, man. Straight up, nice guys. So talented. A lot of history, you know, um, and their music is definitely diverse, not just R&B, but jazz 
and pop and 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 club music and you know they've done it all and they're yeah. you know just great great group to be respected and admired amen to that uh real quick before we move away from them uh shouts out to blue magic because when i was a child we had a few of those 45s back in the day spinning on the uh the record player turntable console and i used to see that atco label thinking it was arco i was like hey can we go to the store mom and not knowing it was short for atlanta company i guess atlantic records atlantic company yeah it was one of their subsidiaries yeah yeah and i'm like man and of course, the obvious comparisons came in. Okay, is it Blue Magic? Is it Stylistics? And that whole thing, we had more Blue Magic in the home than Stylistics. I think my aunt was more into Stylistics. Mm -hmm. um, there, there was something about Blue Magic, man. It was like, <laughs> they were like, are you going to play that song again? Because we would love to play Sideshow. Because that was one of the only 45s that we had of, wow. of Blue Magic. And uh, never had three ring circuits on a 45, I don't think. But we played the heck out of Sideshow. Crazy. And real quick, before we go to Earth, Wind and & Fire and Jeff Beck, uh, I also had a chance to meet the Whispers, man. And shout out to, you know, what I love about A. Scott Galloway, ladies and gentlemen, he's very thorough. Uh, you did a post on Facebook where you did a shout out to uh, producer Ron Carson. Yes. And when I moved to Northern California, oh, almost 10 years ago, it's crazy. It's been that long, Mr. Galloway. But one of the first people I hung out with who had moved up here prior to that was his daughter, Rhonda Carson. You might know Rhonda, but she was already living in Northern California and I didn't know anybody, didn't know a soul. And she was the first person that said, hey, let's meet in. I, I can't remember if it was Concord or uh, Pleasant Hill. I can't remember exactly where we met, but I met with Rhonda because she was a friend from Southern California when I was doing my clubs and everything. And she was telling me about her dad and how he did some work with the Whispers and how she's still, you know, carrying on that legacy as far as, you know, uh, stuff with the, the songwriting and everything. She's still um, working with that. So shouts out to Ron Carson and thank you for mentioning that. And a shout out to Rhonda Carson. I'm going to make sure that she she hears this interview. I had a chance to meet the Whispers, man. You remember Lee Bailey's Radioscope? Of course. <laughs> yeah, I was. I did Radioscope. Man, the entertainment magazine of the year. Man, <laughs> I used to do an intern there. You know, I was trying to do my thing when I was in LA, Scott Galloway. I, I so looked up to you, Money Mike Adams and Tony Gaspart. Man, I was I was I was I was trying to put my bid in. So I was working, I was interning at Radioscope. I think it was mm. called uh it, it wasn't well, the show was still on the air, but it was Lee Beatty Communications, I guess. And uh, Mike daily broadcasting. Yeah. And Mike Mosby, the producer, was there. Yep. And uh, Blair Underwood had just left. He was there with his lady at the time. I, I'm not sure if it's the one he's with currently. I'm not sure. But soon after that, or maybe on a different day, uh, in comes the whispers. And Walter's there. Wallace is there. And you said the tall one is Lavelle Decree, right? Well, it depends oh, on what Nicholas. Well, Nicholas yeah. had the beard like, like the... Nicholas had the beard, yeah. Nicholas, so this was, tall brother was there, Lavelle. 
Okay. He was there. So I had Wallace and Walter, man, you nailed it, man. They had their trench coats on. They had hats. It must've been a cold day. Them cats were cold, bro. (laughs) They were super nice, man. They had the biggest smile on their face. I couldn't tell if I was looking at and smiling at Walter or Wallace, but I'm like, I don't care. It's the whispers. So they were just perfect gentlemen. Like you said, man, they were just down to earth. They were humble. They looked like they were just so happy to be there. This had to be uh, the 90s. So they were, you know, slightly removed from the rock steady uh, peak. You know what I'm saying? But they were still who they are and who they were. And And, and that's the thing with the Whispers. You know, they definitely have lasted through the years. You know, uh, they spent a long time, like I said, from 1965 to the mid 70s. They were just a hardworking a very much respected LA group and then you know Solar Records and the whole Solar team and Leon Silvers and everybody started Man. looking them up with some great great material and they had their heyday and uh and then you know and they've just kind of survived ever since then they never quit they never gave up and if you remember there mm. on the episode even when one of their members had to you know step out of the group say that stop paying him they never say that him. You know, he 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 was a brother. I love the brotherhood. They're just you can't say enough about the whispers. Their their story and their blueprint for, for friendship and brotherhood and and professionalism is just you know impeccable. Yeah. I, you know, they're lovely gentlemen. Absolutely. I, I was probably talking over you, and the audience probably couldn't hear you. But I think you said while he was away, they still made sure he got paid. You yeah, know? one of those members, I think it was either Nicholas or Marcus, was, somebody had to step away from the group. And while he was out of the group, I think it was Lavelle. Sure. Okay. Yeah, that, that he got a check. Still Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. That's I mean, it. yeah, consummate example of brotherhood, man. That's why I love that episode so much because that's where I learned that. And similar to the Ohio players, man, they were like, everybody's getting credited on these songs. So that we don't ever have to fight over royalties. And I don't know what ultimately became of that with the Ohio players, but I remember learning that little tidbit from an uh, unsung episode. Where yeah, they yeah, that's a whole that. nother, that's a whole nother episode. Whole nother thing, right? Whole nother thing. For the Ohio yes, players, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's but an the, episode. <laughs> <laughs> but the whispers held down the brotherhood, man. So shouts out to them. Rest in peace, Mr. Gordy Harmon, uh, passing away at the tender young age of 79. And the good brother, Mr. Keith Beaton, uh, Keith Beaton, 72 years young of uh, the legendary group Blue Magic. May they both rest in paradise. But this is KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Brome, and we are paying a wonderful tribute to some really iconic musical icons. And uh, Mr. A. Scott Galloway is here to break it all down for us. And uh, man, we are just getting started. I, I, I got kind of carried away with the whispers and uh, Blue Magic. Uh, we got a little bit more to go, man. I hope you got a little time, but uh, Jeff Beck is coming up next, ladies and gentlemen. But this one, it, it, I think it hit a little different, man. I mean, not just because you love music, not just because you're a drummer, but it's the way you described him as being such a reliable player and uh, the way you 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 so generously paid tribute to him and the way he held down that pocket. Mr. A. Scott Galloway, I missed this when it passed a few years ago when you covered it, but we lost the drummer, Fred White, of Earth, Wind, and Fire. Good brother, uh, what does this loss mean to the musical community, to Earth, Wind, and Fire? And what would you say his stellar, most signature contribution was to that iconic group? Fred White, Mr. A. Scott Galloway. 
Well, you know, Fred, you know, came up under his big brother, Maurice White. Uh, you know, he wanted to, he, he idolized his brother, particularly in the aspect of drumming, because we know Maurice, you know, was a leader. He was a songwriter. He was a oh, that's true. And all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the first thing that Maurice White was known for is drumming. And Fred was his younger brother. And he looked up to, to Maurice and he wanted to do that. And uh, and so he was a prodigy. You know, he learned, you know, he studied. And uh, the first thing that he did that uh, really captured people's attention was play with Donny Hathaway uh, on the classic Donny Hathaway live album. You know, he's a teenager mm. with, with Donny. And uh, he was so bad. And, and the thing, one of the obvious things that you can point out is that on that album, Donny Hathaway, you know, again, an amazing band that he was working with at that time on Donny Hathaway Live, which was recorded in Los Angeles at the Troubadour. Half of the half of the album was, was recorded there and the other half of the album was recorded at the Bitter End in New York. And uh, Fred was there for, for both uh, sessions. And anyway, uh, or, or both, you know, sets of nights uh, that those shows were recorded, nights and days, because I think the bitter end, they actually had some afternoon gigs. But anyway, anybody that knows that album, and especially if you're a musician, knows that everybody was taking solos right and left. And it was, it was, it was a quasi-jazz record, and there's so much jamming on that record. And there are legendary solos by Earl DeRuyn on congas and Willie Weeks <laughs> bass and Cornell Dupree on guitar and, and whatnot. So um, Fred does not take a solo. He doesn't have to because he just keeps such impeccable time on that record. He played differently under each one of the soloists on the classic song, Everything is Everything. You know, each of the other cats got their own groove, thanks to Fred, for them to solo over on that song. He was amazing. And, uh, and then after Donnie died, at Co Records, once again, uh -huh. um, put him, uh, they, they put out a posthumous live album consisting of material that didn't make it to the original Donny Hathaway live album. And it was just as strong as, as, uh, as the live record. Um, and so this one had a lot of great performances on it, but there's this version of I Love You More Than You'll Ever Know. It was Donny's cover of a Blood, Sweat and Tears tune written by Al Cooper. Man, Donnie lays this backbeat on there that is so behind the beat, so slow, so just precise and slow. And if you're a drummer, you know that is the hardest kind of a backbeat to start and to keep in the pocket for any period of time. And Fred just does it effortlessly. And again, he's a teenager here. You know, he just he was a, a remarkable drummer, timekeeper, percussionist. He was very much, you know, just a, a serious support player with Donny Hathaway. Fast forward a couple of years and Earth, Wind & Fire has gone through, you know, being on Warner Brothers and switching to Columbia Records. They had, uh, you know, Maurice was stepping up front. So they brought in Ralph Johnson uh, of Los Angeles to be uh, the drummer along with Reese in the studio, but Ralph held it down for the most part on the road. And Ralph, Ralph is an excellent drummer, and I have to say that he was also one of my drum teachers. So much respect mm. to Ralph. I used to go to his house every Saturday and take lessons. Wow. And um, he's, he's a wonderful drummer. 
but Maurice felt like they needed something uh, stronger and harder hitting back there in the drum chair. And so he brought his little brother in initially playing in tandem with Earth when, with uh, with Ralph. So they had two drummers for a certain amount of time. And then mm -hmm. Freddie eventually just became the drummer. And it was in Earth, Wind and Fire that not only did he get to just rock it, you know, be, be that rock solid, you know, backbeat, you know, playing guy. You know, when you're in Earth, Wind and Fire, there's also a great level of showmanship that is involved as well. And so, you know, Fred had some wonderful moments, you know, um, he got to, he, he finally did get to take some solos while he was with Earth, Wind and Fire. Okay. He was powerful. He was dramatic. He was, you know, just mesmerizing and captivating. A really, really great drummer. Um, there's just no question about it. He was with them from uh, the Open Our Eyes tour mm. up to the album Electric Universe, which we don't really want to speak about too much. But <laughs> okay. I like to say he was there with them from the Open Our Eyes tour to Power Light. It was a great unsung album by Earth, Wind and Fire. Love Power Light. But yeah, he yeah he was there up until Electric Universe. And, uh, and the first album that, he, that you hear him on with Earthwind, though, is uh, That's the Way of the World. Come on. But he, he did the tour for Open Our Eyes, which led into That's the Way of the World, which led into the Gratitude album, which was three quarters live. And uh, you hear a lot of powerful drumming from him and Ralph on that record as well. So hmm. great guy. And the last thing I'll say is that, you know, I had the supreme honor of picking Fred up um, and bringing him to my apartment at the time and interviewing him uh, about, you know, primarily the work that he did with Donny Hathaway, because I did liner notes for all of Donny's studio albums uh, when Rhino Records issued them for the first time on CD. And he was just, he, he was so cool. And, and, and the, the manner of cool, I want to say, it was almost mystical, man. I mean, you know, we always hear about Earth, Wind and & Fire and, and their image of, you know, of spirituality and and higher thinking and and uh, clean lifestyle and all that and and Fred just you know in my in my apartment was just sitting there man and a very thoughtful guy very you know very serious contemplative about his history and all that and he also had a quirky sense of humor mm. and uh, you know we had we had some good laughs and everything. I just had a great time with them. I haven't had a chance to go back and listen to that interview after all these years. Of course, I have it, um, but I do want to go back and listen to it. But but my memory of it was just, you know, I was on cloud nine, you know, between him in my apartment and Robin Russell of New Birth in my apartment, you know, these drum here of mine at different points in time sitting there breaking down the history of uh, their lives and careers was just... Just phenomenal. So, you know, all I can say is, you know, thank you, Fred White, for for your time, your energy, your mysticism, and and your greatness. You know, I will never forget you, and and all of us who love and admire soul music on its highest level. You know, we will all remember you with awe forever. Good God, man, I had no idea that was beautiful, Scott. I mean, ladies and gentlemen. You're not going to get this anywhere else. I mean, Scott just told you an amazing story about Fred White. And not to mention Ralph Johnson. You received drum lessons from Ralph Johnson of Earth, Wind & Fire. And I had to take three buses 
from Los Angeles into the San Fernando Valley and then walk up a hill <laughs> to take these lessons from Ralph, man. And I'm telling you, I went to visit him a couple of years ago. The guy is phenomenal. Don't let anybody tell you that just because Ralph hasn't been behind the drum chair, you know, right. fire for decades, the man is a serious uh, drum master you know he had me he had two drum sets down in his basement because he's in a new house now from the one that i used to take my lessons from him mm -hmm. and you know he take me, takes me down into this room and he starts playing you know a pattern and and tells me to play this thing against the pattern and uh he stumped me that's like i still it's like he's 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 on a whole nother level man he's a really excellent excellent drummer and i just always want him to get his full props and i would love for him to oh, be yeah. able to Fire. It seems like you should have the brother jump up and play a couple of tunes uh, with them, but not my call. But if it was, he would be, because the man is a serious, serious drummer. He's a, he's like a he's a he's a professor of drumming. You know, I, I don't know what it was that that Reese you know felt like he he just felt like he needed something else back there in that drum department, and Fred White certainly delivered it, but it wasn't because. Ralph wasn't good. You know, Ralph is, the, is a very, very strong drummer. And I just want that to be. Man, I'm I'm glad you said that. I I I don't I have no idea either. Uh so many things just jumped into my mind, man. I mean, I'm sure you would have taken 16 buses if that's what it took to get to uh his home to to have an experience like that. But as I was listening to you as you know, just trying to envision what Maurice Wright. Maurice White must have been thinking about what he felt like he was needing. Mm -hmm. I had some singers on here before, and we were talking about, uh, they were background singers. It was uh, Sean Carter Peterson, actor Sean Peterson. And uh, he was talking about the fact that he's also actually a well-trained, a classical uh, pianist, and he does background vocals as well. He's a singer. And so we, I played for them because it was close to wintertime, maybe about three, four years ago. And I played an acapella version of uh, Give Love on Christmas Day by the Jackson Five, you know, the, the beautiful Christmas song, right? Yeah, yeah. I played Temptations the, did it too. Yes, yes. But I had never played the acapella of Michael and the Jacksons singing it because, oh, they're okay, the Harmony Group, that's who, that's what they were, that, that's what was Sean was calling his group at the time, the Harmony Group. I wanted them to hear the harmonies that Michael, Jermaine, Jackie, Marlon, and Tito were hitting on that song i'm like are you guys hearing this because i get chills every time i hear it and you know what they said to me and this does connect to fred maurice and ralph believe it or not you know what they said to me scott they said well, it's one thing to have a singing group right but it's a whole nother thing to sing with family because absolutely you know what i'm saying because what they said was it's like it's it's they sound they all have distinct voices but when they sing together it's kind of like one voice you know what I'm saying? Just kind of spread in five different directions. And I thought, wow, that's beautiful. And so, yeah, I mean, you can hear that. I mean, you know, Charlie Hayden, the great, late, uh, late, great bassist, you know, mm -hmm. his family, you know, they used to uh, all sing together. And it's the same story. The Silvers, same story. And mm -hmm. all of our female groups, man, from the Pointer Sisters uh. to the Jones Girls, you know, there's a whole thing with, you know, you coming from the same family and being created from the same mother and father, you know, you're genetically, there is a symbiosis that, that takes place when you sing together because, you know, you're all created from the same 
place, you know? Absolutely. Could the same it's a be biological true? fact? Okay. So do, do you think in your opinion as a drummer, this I'm asking you is, do you see any correlation with that? If Maurice has that symbiotic correlation in the world of beats, could that be what Fred brought? Not that Ralph wasn't suitable, but there was something that felt more like home and familiar coming from his little brother. As a drummer, do you is there any overlap with that when it comes to singers, when you think about drumming? No, I, I just think that it was more like what I said. It's more like, you know, Fred idolized his older brother and he played and he studied under him. Mm -hmm. And and probably, you know, uh, as most musicians, you start off copying people and then you until you find your own voice. So I'm sure that he you know, he absorbed a lot of the lessons that Maurice taught him and that he just observed up close from um, from from oh, Maurice. Wow. And here I'll give you another example that's non-family. Same okay. thing. And we're talking about Ernie Isley. Ernie Isley, the, the 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 honor and the good fortune uh, for Jimi Hendrix to live in their home uh -huh. for a while. And he got to study Jimi in a way that other nobody else did. You know, he would just see Jimi at home kicking it, you know, right. and, um, you know, playing with no amplifier, you know, just, you know, and, and, and all sorts of things. These, these are stories that Ernie has told me. And just by, and he was a child, Ernie, child, when this is happening, literally like right. you know, Saturday morning cartoons and cereal, you know, when, when Jimmy was in the house, but he was mesmerized by Jimmy. He studied him up close, just wa got to watch him, you know, mm -hmm. and, and in those kid years when you're just absorbing things, you know, like crazy. And that's why he's able to play the way that he does because, you know, he put his own Ernie yeah. Isley spin on it, but there's no doubt that he was influenced by Jimmy. I, so I think that's the same thing as Fred and Maurice. They just happen to be brothers. Vocals are a whole nother thing. It, it's the actual way that, you know, you're, it's biological and genetic from your family. And if you all sing together, you will have a different kind of harmony than just, you know, four or five folks getting together under the streetlight and singing, which can be magical too, but it won't have, it, there's a, like your, your guy said, family groups, there's a whole nother level that can take place. And Man. it's genetic and biological. Absolutely. And you, you and it's undeniable. I mean, you just can't deny it. Uh, one more thing before we go to Jeff Beck. Uh, I know we're getting tight on time, but uh, you, I know I definitely got this from you. Remember when we played, paid tribute to uh, Jabo Starks? Yeah. Uh, uh, James Brown. Jabo. Mm -hmm. Jabo. Yep. So there was a time when it was he and Clyde Stubblefield and the other drummer was um, Maceo's brother, right? and uh, parker um yeah you Roger know parker oh no i can't remember i'm i'm, I'm like slipping that. on his name right now but yeah it was parker. me too me too but it, it just it's kind of the same thing it's like james at times needed something from clyde because you said clyde was more the funk guy so that's what was so surprising when jabo did the payback because it was just it's like no i need jabo for this or no i clyde hitting it different this time you know the, you ain't bringing it away Clyde is on this one, Jabo. I need Clyde, you know, but it's just, I don't know. It's like when you think about geniuses like Maurice White and James Brown, I mean, they they know what they need for and when they need it. And so they they just pull those elements out of the people that are around them. And one last thing, I don't know what you- It's Melvin Parker. Thank you, Melvin Parker. 
And uh, he had three great drummers to choose from. And then one last thing, because when I think about, I had no idea uh, there was any time where Earth, Wind & Fire had more than one drummer at a time. I always thought it was just either Maurice or somebody else. And I, and now, you know, I've come to know that it's Fred. But do you remember when uh, the band War was on American Bandstand? And they may have done it more than once. But I remember when they were on American Bandstand in the 80s and they they did two songs and they had two drum kits playing together at the same time. I think they played Outlaw and they played um, the the first single from that that hit album. They had a big hit in the late 80s. Uh, Outlaw yeah, it's was called up. Good, Good, Good Feeling. No, wasn't it? I think it was later, wasn't it? This might have been no, a... when they when, when I think when when they had two drummers, <clears throat> this is when they switched to MCA Records and they amended their name to War MCA or RCA. MCA. Okay. Uh, MCA. Well, they later went to RCA, but when they were on MCA is when they got they had two drummers. The original drummer Harold Brown, and then they got this other uh, guy who uh, I think had been playing with Sly uh, for at mm. some point. And again, I'll have to look his name up too. But um, that that so when they were the music band, that's when they uh, had two drummers. And and I did talk to Harold Brown about that uh, at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, and again, you know, the band just felt like they wanted something else, and so yeah. they, you know. But at that point, Harold did not leave the group. He just stayed, and they had two drummers. Slave uh-huh. allegedly was going to try to do that with um, when Steve Arrington came in, but. Uh, I talked to Tiny Tim jo- Dozier, who was the original drummer of Slave, mm-hmm. for some recent liner notes I did on Steve Arrington, and uh, and he kind of saw through it. In their case, it was like they were saying that they were going to have two drummers, but all along they were trying to slide Steve in and slide him out. So you know wow. the, the double drummer thing. And then I guess since we're talking about it, one last thing on double drummers is we lost two drummers last year uh or two members of, of the doobie brothers and one of which was their original drummer i'm getting old man the names sliding <laughs> out of my head but we lost two members of the doobie brothers one of which was the original drummer and i think his name was john hartman and then there was chet mccracken who was also another uh wow. latter days member of the doobie Right. Well, rest in peace to all of them. This is some serious musical history here. This is KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. We're chopping it up with the good brother, Mr. A. Scott Galloway. He's breaking down some history, y'all. Some really, really, uh, wow, exclusive stuff here. Uh, This brother spent time with uh, members of Earth, Wind & Fire. Uh, We're just paying tribute to the late, great Fred White, drummer of Earth, Wind & Fire, who recently passed away. Um, in addition to Keith Beaton and Gordy Harmon, uh, Mr. Beaton of Blue Magic and Mr. Harmon of The Whispers. Oh, my God. Thank you, Scott. Uh, before I let you go, I would be remiss if I didn't give you some time to wax poetic on this one. Jeff Beck, ladies and gentlemen, mm. is considered a guitar legend. I'm just going ahead and say it. They, they, in rock, they call him guitar gods. He's up there with Eddie Van Halen. He's up there with... Uh, Eric Clapton, who's still here. He's up there with uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. And he had his own signature style uh, that was often attempted to be duplicated, but rarely emulated. You had a chance to meet this cat, too, as well. Uh, Mr. Galloway, Mr. Jeff Beck. Good brother. What you got for us? Um, Guitar Hero is probably one of the the more recent uh, ways that they they talk about the, the great rock guitarist of, of all times. 
And uh, Jeff Beck was, you know, pretty much right at the top of that heap, not only because he was a great player, but because he was an innovator who was always searching for new sounds to create, um, you know, on the guitar. But coupled with that innovative aspect of him, he was also very much into the pure electric guitar uh, approaches, whether it be rockabilly, straight up. Uh, American blues. He was a student uh, before he was a master, and that's what made him so great. And he was also always very respectful. Uh, in my piece on Facebook uh, about him, I, I really just scratched the surface. Uh, but, you know, one of the probably more somewhat stinging uh, comments I made is that, you know, he was uh, an, a British guitar player who did not steal the black blues masters you know he did nothing to elevate them you know he didn't take their stuff and rewrite it and try to make other songs out of it and stuff he was very very good friends with bb king when he was alive very very good friends with buddy guy you can go down the line and uh, i got to see jeff so many times in concert with bb with buddy with stevie ray vaughn Saw him at the mm -hmm. New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Fest, Hollywood Bowl, House of Blues. I don't care if it was a big venue, small venue, you know, whatever he was doing, he was always bringing this really beautiful combination of innovation, but also strict truth to the roots, you know, and um, such a, just a, 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 a colorful guy, man, lots of energy and so cool, you know, just, I mean, another cool rock and roll presence, you know, he might jump around a little bit and, 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 you know, get his, his rock and roll vibe on, but then he just, you know, have his shades on, stand over and do a couple of swivels, play his guitar, man. He was just, he was just a player, you know, he, he didn't, you know, he, he didn't mess around and he, and he, was, he did so many beautiful things with melody. Wow. Oh my God. He took Charles Mingus, the great jazz, you know, bassist and composer, uh, his song composition that his goodbye pork pie hat and and did amazing things with it. And he'd turn around and do Genie's Nasum Dorma or he would do Over the Rainbow. Um, you know, just you know, he he would approach those classic pieces of music with, you know, utmost respect and taste, you know, not going crazy with them and trying to make them turned them into rock anthems he approached them in a very pure loving respectful way uh but because he was playing it playing those classics through an electric guitar the way that he played them with his approach to melody it, it was just phenomenal you know phenomenal guy man and everybody on social media all the great guitarists that are still here have been like it's grown ass men crying, man. And you know, they're yeah. just like, Oh my God, you know, I can't believe it. And and we can't believe that Jeff died be because he was one of the healthiest cats in the business, you know. He he didn't drug out, you know. I think he might have drank a few beers now and then, you know, but he, you know, no drugs, took care of himself, worked out, man. His spare time, his hobby was was hot rods, sports cars, you know, he you know, he had good hobbies. He had things that he was into 
And it's just like, wow, why, you know, why him? You know, when we hear, mm. you know, so many other, to, to remain nameless, um, people in rock and roll that, you know, were abusive to their bodies and their spirits and everything, and they're still here. Yeah. And God bless them, you know. But I mean, Jeff, to be a cat that didn't do all of that and, and to die because he contracted um, meningitis in the hospital where he was uh, being treated for something else. Mm. it's as sad as when the great jazz drummer Tony Williams died, you know, went in for a simple surgery and ended up having a heart attack because he got a, a, a blood clot and he was, you know, complaining of pain and the people that were taking care of him didn't really take his pain seriously. I don't know what happened with Jeff Beck, but I, it, it, you know, as far as that's concerned, but I do know that he went in the hospital just because he wasn't feeling well after Christmas. And then, but while he was in there, he contracted something to end up taking him off the plane. And it's so unfair. But he left us a lot of music, a lot of music. And you can hear him from album to album to album, always trying to find new ways to uh, be expressive uh, and tasteful on that guitar. You know, yeah. it's a great, great loss to all of music, not just rock music. You know, God, Godspeed, Jeff Beck, a legend we'll never forget. Man, true words. Because we've ended as lovers, man, is something that I've recently discovered. Mm-hmm. Uh, beautiful. Just, I mean, the, talk about making an instrument talk, making an yeah. instrument cry. He, yeah. made that, he made that guitar wail and cry in a way in which he was just pouring out his soul into that song. Written by Stevie, right? Isn't of that, course. It's a yeah. Stevie and Sarita, I believe. Sarita, uh-huh.
could just put his spin on it. And on that same album, Blow by Blow, you know, you know, shout out to what you just said with res- how he respected black artists. He he did uh, Thelonious, you know, much. I don't know if that was a tribute to Thelonious Monk or not, but he definitely. Absolutely. Seemed, it was right. So, I mean, who else? Right. But yeah, the respect was clearly there. And that's why he's loved and revered by so many. Uh, even I have to go back and learn. Remember when you came and did Pharaoh Sanders with us and Ramsey Lewis, man, it's like I knew about uh, the big ones, but I, I I need to go do do a deeper dive because when I was playing guitar and I was an aspiring guitarist, I was into Satriani and a little bit of Steve Vai, but for the flashiness, you know, when you when you talk about these cats. Speedsters. Who have, yeah, speedsters, you know what I'm saying? When you talk about these cats who have, you know, a slower hand. You know, shouts out to <laughs> the Pointer Sisters again. But mm-hmm. when you know, when you when you talk to these cats that just play, man, play. Stevie Ray Vaughan, he could make that guitar cry, man. And j- and I see Beck could do the same thing, man. He could talk to you. My late great stepfather, Big Willie, he would say, "You listen to the music and listen to the way they make that guitar talk." George Benson, make that guitar talk. You know what I'm saying? It just speaks to you and it just touches something in your body and in your spirit in a way that lyrics can't. Yeah. Well, I mean, even George Benson, you know, popped some some Jeff Beck vibe back on an album called Shape of Things to Come. You know, it's like Mm. all the guitar players cocked their ear to Beck, man. You know, that's when he was in the Yardbirds when he did that song very early in his career. And, um, you know, he was already doing things that weren't really, uh, that hadn't been done before. And, uh, and was blown away when Jimi Hendrix came on the scene. Almost wanted to put the guitar down, but didn't. And thank God, you know, because you know, yeah. he went on to make amazing contributions. And uh, and he, he crossed a lot a lot of bridges and he brought a lot of different people together. And, and um, just a, a phenomenal guy for so many reasons as a human being and as a musician. So, mm. yeah, we, we, we truly lost a, a giant. Uh, and yeah. it's so unfair, but once yeah. again... Nothing but respect and eternal love for Jeff Beck. Yeah, no doubt. That's the the quintessential. Your favorite guitar player's favorite guitar player. I yeah, mean, he he was that guy. Well, we have laid it out for this one, Mister A. Scott Galloway, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I hope you pressed your record buttons on this one. This is some serious musical history here. The tapestry of these collective artists that we've been covering for this episode of Psychotic Bum School have left an indelible mark and i cannot thank you enough mr a sky galloway for breaking it down for gordy Harmon, keith beaton fred white and of course the iconic jeff beck two-time inductee into the rock and roll hall of fame mind you probably once with the yardbirds i'm guessing that's right right. and then on his own with the, the, the yeah come on man this guy Man, rest in peace, Jeff Beck, and to all these great artists that Scott is helping us pay tribute to. Mr. Galloway, I can't thank you enough, good brother. What's the best way for people to find you, find your articles? Uh, tell us what you got coming up, good brother. Uh, as always, look for me on Facebook. And um, I do have two pretty major things coming up. I produced a three-CD anthology on the great singer Randy Crawford. That'll be out March Uh-oh. 17th. I also did an in-depth cultural essay on the 50th anniversary of Wattstacks for a um, series of reissues that they're doing on that. Everything from a single CD set, two CD set, to like NLP, all-inclusive, everything that was ever recorded for Wattstacks. Um, my essays are in the bigger project, you know, um, mm-hmm. the 
the more comprehensive, like three disc and, and LP versions of. And I, and currently, I I have out um, Steve Arrington's "Dancing in the Key of Life" for Icono Classic Records. We we reissued that with uh, several bonus tracks, as well as Slaves Showtime, which is the album that gave us Snapshot and Wait for Me. My favorite things. Yeah, so I did the liner note essay for that. Those are through Icono Classic Records. The Randy Crawford anthology is called You Might Need Somebody. That was done for Soul Music Records. And the Watch Stacks uh, Comprehensive 50th Anniversary Deluxe is through Stacks Concord. Man, beautiful. But Scott, before you go, man, I, I got to ask, man, uh, Week at the Knees by Steve Arrington's Hall of Fame. Isn't that one of the <laughs> Oh, isn't that one of the coldest drum patterns you've ever heard in, in R&B funk music? Absolutely. I'm, Steve Arrington just, just <laughs> laid it out with that. That is just so hardcore. And I, I still can't remember if, I know Steve came up with it, but I don't know if he's the one that played it on the record. It was either Steve or it was Roger Parker, mm. uh, who, who was, uh, who Steve was up front at that point, you know, in his last days with Slave, he became a vocal star. And so when he started his own band, uh, he kind of stepped up front like so many other brothers have done, from Marvin to Teddy to Jeffrey. Mm -hmm. You know, they've come out of that background on the drums to uh, be up front. He was no different. I just kind of forget, forgive me, whether or not Steve is the one that played that. I'm sure he came up okay. with it. Or, uh, or if Roger did it on the record and uh, Steve I have to ask him and remind myself. <laughs> Please do. Let me know what he said. Well, that's our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome, and you know we're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time, and it repeats again on Friday evenings from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. Pacific time. Check back with us. We shall return next week. Also want to thank our very, very special guest for the evening, Mr. A. Scott Galloway, and of course, our good brother, Dr. Shakir Email. Also want to send a very, very special shout out to Mr. Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. Take care and enjoy the rest of your MLK weekend. <laughs> <laughs>